With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Welcome to Worst Year Ever, a production of iHeartRadio. America and other places that I presume exist but cannot currently prove the reality of. Uh, this is uh, the worst year ever, uh, as you're aware of, because you're living through it. And I am Robert Evans, here today with my co-host, Cody. Do- Katie J- stole. Yep, there we go. <laughs> Cody, Cody dot Katie. Cody dot Katie. Katie. Stole dot Kate. Um, hey, guys. I would guys. Have you'd both be dot orgs. I... I'm not. I did not register myself as an org. Oh, you better not have done with .us because that's a real pain in the ass. Mm -mm, mm -mm. I don't like. I accidentally .co. .co. Yeah. What even is that? Cody.co. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that that would be good actually. Oh, and you could be if you could if you move to Canada, you could be Katie.ca. Done. I'd love to Mm -hmm. move to Canada. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Actually, right now I'm thinking Denmark looks good. Denmark's looking good. Uh, you know who? You know who uh, did a really good job of handling their coronavirus outbreak? Gaza, Germany? apparently. Gaza. Yeah, I mean, yes, a number of places that aren't where we live did did really? good jobs if, in very different tactics. Yeah, seems like they um they got a handle on huh. it. So, so I know. Speaking that... of open air prisons, prisons. Yeah. Well, well, that we had not. Does tie in. <laughs> <laughs> we hadn't. We. We had yeah, not introduced good. the subject of this week's episode, but Cody, thank you for doing that. Yeah. There we go. Speaking of prisons. Cody's <laughs> intro was the best that's ever been done, FYI. Yeah. That was speaking, a complete accident. Yeah. Speaking of prisons, let's all stop saying that our homes are like a prison because that is not fair to prisons or no. doing justice to the situation, yeah. which we are going to talk about today. Yes, yes. Yeah, I'm always, whenever I hear that, I'm always reminded of, um, uh, I apologize to listeners, that one episode of The Office where they had uh, like a prisoner work program. Yes. And everyone was referring to The Office as a prison and Michael Scott was like, no, it's actually good, see? And everyone's like, yeah, obviously. Obviously, it's not like prison. Yes. <laughs> Although I will say our our... Are, are the cur- the current terms that under which uh, many Americans, including ourselves, are um are are social distancing? If you were going to compare it to a prison, you might compare it to the kind of prison that people go to after they steal billions of dollars, um and and cause sure. h- tens of thousands of people to to lose their homes like that. It, it's like it's like it's like white collar crime prison. It's broadly it's like, like a- that. It's like Jeffrey Epstein prison. (laughs) Well, no. (laughs) No, no. The first time around. The first time around when when he went to a a cushy prison place where he was allowed out every day to go to work. Yeah. We're all experiencing something that's like 
like broadly similar to how Jeffrey Epstein was incarcerated the first time. Yes, that's that's a good way to look at it. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. My experience is to yeah. Yeah. Is is that the end of the episode? Are we done now? Yeah, we're done. We've mm-hmm. we've hit it. No. So, um, uh, speaking of open air prisons, Jeffrey Epstein is that, <laughs> that was the episode? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. This was this was all part of our our goal of tying Jeffrey Epstein's first incarceration uh, to the the lockdown of Gaza um, for reasons that I think have escaped us all and never mm-hmm. made much sense to begin with, and were always a bad <laughs> idea. Thank you for listening. Yep. Goodbye. <laughs> In conclusion, goodbye. Uh um, no. Yeah. So, we, okay. <laughs> go, Robert, st- you go. Are we gonna start the episode now? <laughs> I'll, yeah, I'll start. Boy. Um, I'll go because I think uh, my section should probably be first because it's about yeah. like yeah. Okay. Yeah. Hold on. <laughs> All right. So just for listeners' sake, none of us are doing great with the quarantine today the monday that we're recording this and and so starting this episode's a little bit of a shit show because i think i i don't want to speak for everyone else but this is also me starting my week and it's not going great <laughs> it's it's definitely the beginning of a new week and um we're all doing our best yeah which is not very good no you know, uh, it's not it doesn't sound yeah. like it's great today um, no. But we so obviously, as I'm sure at least the title has indicated uh we certainly have not the the hosts of the show um, but we're going to talk about prisons uh, today and this week. We have an interview uh, later this week as well uh, on this topic, um, because if you've been reading the news, which for that, I am sorry if you have been. Um, there's a lot of uh, a lot of COVID cases in prisons um, and a lot of uh, discussion about what to do about that and uh, protests going on. We'll we'll get into all of it, but just generally and like I won't get into the conditions of Prisons in general, I think uh, listeners and uh, hosts and everybody probably know not, it's not not great. Good guess. Good guess would be not great. Um, but just in terms of uh, this pandemic and the, the things that we all need to do, like social distancing, um, the inmate population in federal prisons uh, exceeds their rated capacity by 12 to 19 percent. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if I can quickly so, like, interject, I found a, a startling statistic. So California has one of a, a really bad problem with coronavirus in its prisons. Ten years ago, a federal court ordered the state to reduce its inmate population, and they were required to reduce it to less than one hundred and thirty-seven point five percent of capacity. So they were yeah. they were above one hundred and thirty-five point seven percent capacity of their prisons. Um, there are today 114,000 people housed in California's main prisons, which were designed to support 85,000 people. So just Not like, great. and that's yeah, as K- Cody's saying, that's a nationwide thing. I just picked California because it's kind of like the starkest example. But um, that's like that's like say your your local concert hall is supposed to fit 300 people. And they fit 500 people in there. You're not going to be happy about that uh, yeah. for a variety of reasons. And I actually do think it's maybe a good idea just to quickly say some of the things that are are wrong with prisons in general, even outside of coronavirus. Or their that existence. Leads to yeah. Their existence, sure. Yeah. And that's a whole conversation as well. But, you know, it's not cleanly. It's not safe. Uh, they, as you mentioned, you know, Overcrowding of prisons is a real epidemic and it's a real problem and there's a lot of social issues and reasons why it is that way. But it's impossible for prisoners to keep distance from each other. It's impossible to even maintain a bare minimum of of, uh, cleanliness that is required to survive this pandemic. You know, they don't have access to, to water like we do or soap. Yeah, they can't. They aren't allowed to have antibacterial soap because there's alcohol in it, and so they could mm-hmm. drink it. Um, so that was an initial problem. Um, another major problem is that nationwide, an estimated forty percent of incarcerated people in jails and prisons have at least one chronic medical condition, which renders yeah. them significantly more vulnerable to COVID nineteen. Um, thank, thanks for participating, by the way, Katie, in this long hijacking of Cody's train of thought. <laughs> we should return things to Cody now. <laughs> I mean, it's all nested in the whole point, um, which is that even if, uh, like, let's say even capacity was down and uh, at 100%, that's not good. Uh, that's that not ideal, no. Um, For the same so reason the no one that, likes to be on a full plane flight. 
Right. Um, yeah. You the, like this wouldn't be a an ideal situation to implement any of these things anyway. Yeah, um, it, it just so happens <laughs> that it's much worse than that. Yeah, if the problem were forty percent less bad than it is, it would it be would a still real be problem. Bad. <laughs> <Yeah>. Right. <laughs> cool. Okay. Um, very cool. Yeah, it's just it it's happening everywhere in counties. You'll see uh, here are these all of these reported cases in this county, like Brazoria County in uh, Texas. Twenty seven cases were reported. Twenty five of those were from their facility. It's just uh, over and over. Last week, though, the majority of inmates hadn't been tested in Cook County Jail in Chicago. Even though the majority had not been tested, they still had 230 inmates and 115 staff members testing positive. Awesome. In Ohio, the Marion Correctional Institution uh, had 2,011 inmates testing positive, which is 80% of their prison population. Um, Again, speaking of staff, 154 of 350 staff uh, tested positive. Um, and also NPR reported that uh, these tests where uh, 2011 inmates were testing positive, they didn't even get to see the results of their tests. Um, they like the tests were done and they found out, oh, this many uh, prisoners here ha- are testing positive. But the individuals did not get informed of whether or not mm-hmm. they tested positive, um, which makes all of the things that we need to do harder. Um Again, wouldn't have been easy, but they made it harder. Um, uh, there's a low-security prison in San Pedro called Terminal Island. Um, and cute name. Cute name. A great name for the current situation, Terminal Island. My God. Uh, 693 of its 1,042 inmates, 67% of their prison are testing positive. Um, and just, 2% I could go- short of being... Nice. Nice. Yeah. Really close to being nice. Um, but uh, it's just case after case of this kind of thing. Um, yeah. And uh, there's the uh, uh, speaking of like fuck ups in prisons, there was just like Michigan has the highest death rate of any uh, uh, state in terms of like prisoners dying of COVID-19. And a story just dropped a few days ago that three inmates who were infected were sent to one of Michigan's prisons that had no coronavirus cases just because <laughs> of a fuck up in testing. Which is great. Yeah. I laughed, but it wasn't full of mirth or joy. Love no. it. Yeah. And yeah, like you were you were alluding to, like a lot of the um you know, a lot of prisoners have uh pre existing conditions and and certain extreme cases. Um and uh there's what fe- uh Federal Medical Center in Fort Worth, which is where a lot of them go. Um they're at six hundred and twenty cases there out of fourteen hundred and sixty three uh people. Um it's because of the conditions of not only the facilities, but also of the inmates there. Um, and so it's just, there's so many everywhere. And it's it's clearly a problem yeah. at these kinds of places specifically. Um, and there, you know, prisons, we all, we all know, co-hosts and listeners, everybody, of the problems with prisons in general. We've talked about it on the show. Um, but there are just so many people there that... Uh, are elderly that have these conditions and problems that have been in prison for decades and probably don't need to be there anymore. Like there's a study uh, from the the Brennan Center for Justice that found no compelling public safety reason to incarcerate 39% of the inmates in state and federal prisons, which is about 576,000 people. Elderly Americans are especially unlikely to commit further crimes once released. The United States yeah. Sentencing Commission found in 2017 that offenders over the age of 65 had just a 13.4% chance of being rearrested in an eight-year period after release, compared to a 67.6% chance for those under age 21. Um, so these are people who've been in prison for decades and decades for things, you know, ranging from... Uh, it could be a violent offense. It could be like a tax thing. It could be any like having like a little bit of weed on them. Who knows? Um, but they're over sixty five, and if you release them into the public uh, to get them out of this uh, situation, that they're not in there for this. They're not in there to die of this virus. Um, then and it's it's yeah. not like a, a an immense threat to public safety to release them. And it, it's very frustrating because. Um... If you if you try to lay out the actual facts of incarceration in America, 
um, you wind up like, like I, I don't even, like. Okay, so the, uh, one of the arguments you'll hear for people who uh, will complain about how many people are incarcerated is is the number of nonviolent drug offenders, and that is a problem. But the the reality of the situation is that most people who are incarcerated in the United States for long sentences have committed some sort of violent crime. Um, the 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 numbers are that about fifty five percent of federal inmates, something somewhere around there, a little over half. Uh, are on some sort of drug offense, but that's about 10% of the incarcerated total. Um, mm. And m- more than half of people who are incarcerated in state prisons have some sort of violent offense. Now, that's even more complicated than it sounds for a number of reasons. Uh, one of them is that when you, like the the data that we have that determines like whether or not somebody's, you know, doing time for a violent or a nonviolent offense, it uh, is based on what is marked down as their most severe um, charge. So, in a lot of cases, that means that someone who has domestic violence and uh, a heroin charge might look like a nonviolent heroin offender, even though, no, that's a person who actually did commit a violent crime. It's just that our system considered the heroin crime to be a more severe crime. Um, the second factor in that, though, is that a lot of people who commit crimes like robbery and burglary that may not have involved a violent crime but are mm-hmm. considered violent crimes get written down as violent criminals. Um, right. But the broader issue is that this leads to a situation wherein a lot of Americans, if if they find out someone has a violent crime in their history, period, um, then they suddenly have no desire in, you know, a lot of Americans have gotten on board the idea that, like, drug offenders should be let out. And consistently, when people are asked to estimate what percentage of the prison population are nonviolent drug offenders, they vastly overestimate how many Americans are just in prison for a drug offense. But when... And so w- when people find out, like, 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 so when you you've looked at the way governors have approached talking about releasing, because like in New York and in California and in uh, Michigan and a number of states, Washington, um, you have had governors releasing at least temporarily nonviolent offenders, but they all point out that they don't want to release violent offenders and that this will not affect violent offenders. And as Cody notes, for one thing, it is incredibly unlikely for elderly offenders to reoffend. It it very very rarely happens. Um, also, it, so yeah. just to interject, like, isn't that the point? Like, yeah, it should point, be. Yes. Like that it, people like, emerge like reformative, yeah. like restorative yeah. justice, like people. I don't it know. Should it's, be the point. And, and it should and be it, the point. And it, it it's it's this we have this difficulty. So there's another study I was reading about where they they asked people to imagine one of their um their relatives, a loved one, a family member was murdered and what sentence they think would be effective, uh, would be fair for the murderer. And people pick, obviously, very, very harsh sentences. They want want, uh, the book thrown at the person who took their loved one away from them, which, of course, makes sense. But when people are asked to imagine that a loved one committed one of those crimes, um, they consider the recommended sentence to be considerably more lenient. Because when we think about people we care about, it's easier to imagine, even if they did something horrible, um, we can imagine them redeeming themselves because we see them as right. complete human beings who may have done something terrible but but aren't washed out. And so, like th- this is part of the complexity of communicating the issues that we're we're having with incarceration to people. I found a really interesting yeah. article in um a Washington. It was like a Washington conservative radio uh jock kind of piece of shit, Jason Rance, who was complaining that uh, Governor uh. Inslee. <laughs> Had released about a thousand prisoners, um, which is is was uh, not a lot of prisoners. So this guy was pointing out that, like, well, we said on the right when they said, you know, we conservatives said that when they started releasing prisoners, it was going to go bad. And sure enough, just a couple of weeks after he released these prisoners, you know, a bunch of them have reoffended. And then you get through the article, and it turns out that three people have reoffended, and the three reoffenses out of what's, that a, a thousand. What's the uh, legal definition of a bunch? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he says that um yeah, it 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 it's very frustrating. So and the and the three offenses are one person like went on a high-speed chase and was charged with a felony count of eluding police um and two misdemeanor charges uh of obstructing an officer and driving with a suspended license. Um no violent crimes, no one hurt, nothing's nothing stolen. I wonder um, when he could have renewed his license. Yeah, exactly. In the time that he's been out. <laughs> I yeah. wonder why he ran away from the cops that he's afraid of. Yeah, uh, it's frustrating. Another person um, had gotten high on methamphetamines and used a crowbar to break wooden boards. 
uh, that were like had been boarded up over a window. Like he was just like fucked up on meth and hitting boards with a crowbar. So again, no real damage to to violence property against uh, wood. and no violence, violence against, against a human. Wood. And then oh. the third person had stolen seventy dollars from a grocery uh, worth of items from a grocery store. Yeah. Okay. And, and <laughs> yeah. It's about... like, yeah. Ooh, boy. <laughs> sure would be better if they were dying. Um, and this is yeah, what uh, I like. This is why it's one of the frustrating things too for me is seeing like seeing that framing of it. And I'm sure, I'm sure that this Rance fellow, uh, if it were not like a radio rant or whatever, if it was like a published piece, they would have shown the original mug shots of those people when they were originally arrested as the photo that you see of them. Because uh, they're scary. They're sc- the mug shots are scary, you see. So you yeah. got to show those. So you got to show them at people at their worst. Mm-hmm. Um, we need to take a really quick break, you know, for the products and services that, you know, drive this show. But then we're going to come back and we're yes. going to talk uh, about some of the protests we're seeing pop up around the country and, and what they are protesting. All of that stuff, you know? Yeah. I'm going to reopen the gyms, take some meth, hit boards with a crowbar and justify your incarceration and death by a virus in doing so. And also products. Welcome to the worst year ever. We'll get through together or not. Step into the world of power, loyalty and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse with family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family vdw group no purchase necessary void where prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus like many of us you might think identity theft will never happen to you But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash news. That's lifelock.com slash news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. We are have become returned. We are have become returned indeed. Nailing it. Um, As I alluded to before the break, uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about the prison protests that we are seeing popping up. And uh, to your point, Cody, yes, earlier on, people probably have heard about how jails are epicenters, truly epicenters for the, the, the outbreaks that we're seeing throughout America, not just because of the prisoners, although everybody should be caring about the fact that prisoners are being treated inhumanely, but also yeah. uh, correctional officers, people that work in the facilities and then go home and spread the virus to the, the counties that they live in. So that's really important. And, and hopefully you guys have seen that and you are aware of the situation just like nursing homes are also epicenters okay getting off topic but (laughs) 
my problem is that <laughs> the mainstream media has not and has never been good about covering protests around prisons. You know, the lamestream greedia. Well, huh? thank nailed you. Nailed it. Oh my God, okay. Cody. Okay. Wow. I mean, we have seen hunger strikes at prisons in the past for for conditions that we've talked about. You know, all sorts of strikes, and they never really break the surface of of media coverage. And I find that that is true here. I mean, there are there are definitely little articles about all this stuff popping up, but I I, I don't see very much top down coverage of of these things. Um, so I've cobbled together something yeah. of a list here. Um, uh, that's good. I want to also just real like that on that point, like. They can't get enough of covering the protests of the people who want to go to the right, gym. Right, exactly. They they are obsessed with the haircut people, um, but they can't bring themselves to do more than a minute on like on these or even just like nurses and doctors protesting. There's yeah. so many other protests going on yeah. that aren't just a bunch of weirdos who want to get a fucking haircut. Um, right, it's exactly. Very frustrating. Yeah, they're also not covering. Yeah, yeah. There, it's. It's frustrating. Is is we, we're all agreed on that? We agree. Yeah. It's frustrating. Yeah, we've, we've, we've it's settled. But yeah. that's why we're talking about it here today. And yeah. I I assume that the majority of our listeners care about uh, the conditions these people are living through. But if you don't, at least care about the fact this is this is a very compelling argument that our country will not have this under control until we figure out how uh, to handle the outbreaks in prisons as well. Okay, cool. So some of the places that have had protests. Uh, in April, more than 100 prisoners at Monroe Prison in Washington State um, uh, <laughs> protested after six prisoners and five staff members were, were diagnosed with COVID-19. Uh, from what I understand, <laughs> a couple of fire alarms were set off, and then the buildings were evacuated, leading to the inmates sitting in a field, some of them in masks, uh, protesting the lack of attention being paid to the situation. Eventually, the infected prisoners were moved to isolation units. So that's something, although also a thing. Um, Here in California. Right, isolation units. Right. I don't know what that that? means. And then uh, the official word from the prison is the situation is under control. Okay. Mm -hmm. Don't worry. We put them in solitary. Great. Yeah. Yeah. Here in California, citizens organized a protest outside of San Quentin. Um which is personally important to me. Uh, I do not have a family member in San Quentin currently, but I have had a family member in San Quentin in the past for a long time. It was a horrifying experience. Uh, they were drug charges and, uh, you know, because of other things ends up there. It's a whole thing. But anyway, that to me stood out because I have spent a lot of time worrying about a loved one who has been incarcerated specifically there. Anyway, organizers respected social distancing uh, by using a car caravan to demonstrate on Saturday. You know, they, they would circle around, you know, honking their horns, pr- protesting the conditions in there. They were also calling for prisoners who are over the age of 60 to be released. But yeah, there have been similar car protests like that all over the states. In Indiana, back in April, organizers circled Westville Correctional Facility after 143 inmates and 36 correctional officers tested positive for coronavirus in Raleigh, North Carolina, just this past weekend, uh, another socially distant protest was organized. Cars circled the central prison honking horns, and other people marched on foot carrying signs. This is from a local news station there. Uh, Julie Schneider, organizer of the protest, joined the dozens of people who took part in the social distance protest in their vehicles as others held up signs while walking around the prison. She and others demanded an end to solitary confinement practices and improved food and medical treatment during the coronavirus outbreak. Over years and years, what we've seen in DPS facilities is systemic ignoring of any kind of human rights. So that happened there. There were also similar protests also in North Carolina and Goldsboro. In Cleveland, actually, city councilman Bashir Jones uh, took part in a COVID-19 protest uh, outside the Marion Correctional Institution. They have over more than 2,000 infected inmates and over 175 staff members wow. uh, with coronavirus as of early May. Uh, Marion is considered one of the hardest hit COVID-19 hotspots in the nation. 
that's both believable and wildly unbelievable. You know, I mean, this is an enormous outbreak. Again, pointing to what I'd said earlier, it doesn't stay contained in the prison. It goes out into the community. Gosh, there are so many more. I, I, they're in Portland, in San Diego, in Florida. It's just these are not stories that many people are aware of and tracking or even know uh, are happening so that they could go and join in the protests. You know what I mean? Um, and that leads me to ICE facilities. Um, detainees at several ICE facilities have gone on strike to demand sanitary supplies. Uh, and apparently in some places it's been sort of effective. Federal judges in California and Pennsylvania have ordered ICE to release several de- detainees who have sued. Uh, and there are also lawsuits happening in other states, though I'm not clear where they stand at this point. But it's very case by case. Um, at the Stewart Detention Center, which is a privately run ICE facility in Georgia, there have been some unsuccessful examples of inmates protesting uh, their treatment during the pandemic. Apparently, sick patients were being ignored. Uh, the problems weren't being addressed. Um, and this one I'm going to read from uh, is from The Intercept. Carlos was on his bed feeling sick when he turned to look out the window and saw a group of detainees running out a side door leading to a recreation yard. Several correctional officers were giving chase. At first, Carlos thought that there was a fire, but then he saw correctional staff use pepper spray on the detainees. Daniel, another detainee, whose name has also been changed, saw it all happen from a unit across the hall. People were asking for medical attention for some of the sick people in here, Daniel said. But because they, the staff, didn't pay attention, they began protesting. They started placing sheets on the windows and doors, Daniel said. The correctional office began deploying gas, throwing detainees on the floor, taking them in handcuffs to, he assumed, solitary confinement, or as they called it, the hole. Also in this article, uh, they explain that there is a special unit of correctional officers tasked with suppressing detainee disturbances. Akin to a SWAT team, the pepper spraying unit is known as the Special Operations Response Team, or SORT. The SORT unit, which has not previously been reported on, is trained to use riot shields, helmets, pepper spray, and pepper ball ammunition. The whole article is pretty ghoulish. Uh, Apparently, this use of force has happened twice against prisoners protesting coronavirus. Uh, And both times, correctional officers have gone on and, and, like, celebrated their use of force and stuff on social media posts, uh, also from the article. The posts in aggregate gives a series of snapshots of the SORT team's actions against the protesting detainees. In one social media post... A sort officer said he shot all the detainees in sight with pepper ball projectiles. It was, he said, Call of Duty mode, referring to a violent first-person video game series awesome. about going to war. Um, it's pretty yes. horrifying. Cool way to view things. Like one yeah. of those times in Call of Duty where you fire into a crowd of unarmed people with pepper spray paintballs. Cool. Yeah, and again, so what are the things that they're protesting? They seem pretty reasonable to me. That conditions prisoners are being held in are improved, that they have access to medical care, you know, that they're not treating sick patients or isolating them in many cases. And I don't mean putting them in solitary confinement. I mean removing them from a crowded cell block. And as we've alluded to, also for the releasing of inmates to reduce the number of incarcerated individuals, especially people that do not need to be there, um, you know, for a variety of reasons, if we're like being realistic, like do they deserve to be given a death sentence for their marijuana charges from 15 years ago? Yeah. Um, and that's I, I want to up for debate. I, I want to comment debate, on that Katie. because um, yeah. a number of people have had their their lesser sentences yes. become death sentences. And I'm about to get to that. In March, William Barr actually ordered officials running federal prisons to immediately maximize the release of prisoners uh, to home confinement, you know, to help prevent the spread and, you know, urged uh, them to focus on the most vulnerable people in facilities, uh, such as elderly people. Um, And that's a fine. That's that's a good move, you know, somewhat surprising from them. But um, it kind of it hasn't really moved the needle. I mean, you can push back on this, but from what I'm looking at, uh, this only applies to about 2,000 of the 170,000 inmates in f- the federal correction system. Yeah. Um, and the majority of the over 2 million prisoners currently 
being held in the United States are, you know, states or, or local level. Yeah. Um, so that leaves the decision of what to do with the majority of the prisoners at the discretion of local governments and governors, which I know you've prepared some stuff on, Robert. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I wanted to talk in the context of people having their, their sentences turned into death sentences. I wanted to talk about Ephraim yeah. Stutzen. Uh, Ephraim okay. Stutzen um, was convicted for selling cocaine. Uh, he served 27 years in Lompoc Prison in California, and he was released on April 1st. Um, within hours of getting off of his bus in San Bernardino, he was hospitalized for COVID-19, and he was dead five days later. Um, and his sister says that, yeah, he, he told her as he was in his last days in prison that he started to get sick. Um, he was not released then, uh, even though it, it would have improved his chances to have immediately been released to a hospital. Um, instead he spent days sick in prison and then was released and died immediately upon, uh, coming back out into the world for the first time in almost 30 years. Um, and there's a number of stories like that. It's just, it's horrible. Um, Yeah. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's a whole other thing, like, even in releasing a lot of these people, if we were to do that, like, a lot of them don't have those connections in the real world anymore. Nope. So what right. do they do and where do they go? I mean, it's the same thing with the, the story that you talked about earlier with the few inmates that have committed crimes, stole some food, you know, or mm-hmm. <laughs> got chased by the cops and arrested because they didn't have a valid driver's right, license. Right, tried to tried to get somewhere, needed food. <laughs> like, that's... Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying we should be going and stealing food, but you can understand... Too late, Katie. It's too late. You've said it. <laughs> yes, steal Sorry. food, and, you know, while you're at it, hit some boards with a crowbar while on methamphetamine. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. All good calls. I wanted to talk about some of the governors that we've um we've been celebrating recently for their... Their relative yeah. competence uh, in the face of the COVID nineteen epidemic, um, because mm. like uh, Cuomo is a good example. So he's enjoys something like eighty percent popularity right now. Uh, yeah, in New York the, vi- State. the villain from the mask, Governor Cuomo. Is he? Wait, what? No, but look, just look up the Google photo. It, of him Google it. Google it. It's oh, a thing. No. Um, okay, that makes sense because he is essentially. I believe he would fight. I don't know. I don't remember much. I don't remember anything about the mask, Cody, other than Jim Carrey's face is green, and he has that big that big uh, comedy gun. It's like a it's like a yeah, Looney Tune, yeah, right? Yeah, it's uh, it's it's uh, smoking. And wasn't wasn't in the actual comics that it's based on? Wasn't he like a horrible rapist murderer? Yeah, it's way worse. Um, yeah, much darker. Uh, it's not not great in the movie either. Uh, like most uh, Jim Carrey movies, I guess of that era in retrospect. But. Yeah. We let him get away with a lot in the 90s. Um, but yeah, speaking of getting away with a lot. <laughs> but moving on. Back to Governor Andrew Cuomo. Like Stanley Yelnats, he is getting away with a lot. As you pointed out, uh, you know, Jim Carrey was able to get away with a lot in the 1990s. Mm-hmm. We all as a society decided yeah. that he like, said, his... He said, somebody stop me. And then we said, no. No, 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 we won't. We were like, no, no, go on, please. Yeah, Continue. yeah. And his, if you rewatch old Jim Carrey movies, with the exception of uh, Ace Ventura Two, um, they're all they're all uh, uh, monstrous, uh, and yes. and it, and the characters that we're supposed to identify with do horrible things, and we just let Jim Carrey get away with it because he was really good at making that one face and and pretending to talk with his butt, and it was a simpler time, and we all decided that was okay, and in a similar manner. Governor Andrew Cuomo of New York City uh, has been allowed to get away with some horrific actions because he's doing the gubernatorial equivalent of talking with his butt um, in a funny ha-ha movie, which is, I guess, talk like an adult. Um, I don't know. It breaks down here. But you know what doesn't break down (laughs) are the products and services that support this podcast. So we're going to talk about Cuomzy. But first, here's ads. He's not even gubernatorial, Cuomo brother. I've got a joke. Gubernatorial, more like goober, mm. you know? Mm, booger, booger. Ads! Go to yeah, there. these are the or kind of jokes it. you don't get with NPR podcasts. Boom. Bunch of hacks. Welcome to the worst year ever. We'll get through it together or not. 
With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. With AT&T in-car Wi-Fi, elevate your adventure by transforming your vehicle into a reliable Wi-Fi hotspot. Connect up to 10 devices up to 50 feet away from your vehicle, making it ideal for camping and road trips. Don't miss out on the fun. Embark on your next adventure today. Visit att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi to check if you're eligible for a free trial. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthier happens together. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. Everything's so dumb, 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 dumb. So we talked uh, earlier in the episode about how old people, when released from prison, even if they're released from violent crimes, are, are very unlikely to reoffend for a variety of reasons, including, and this is like, again, it's one of the things that it's hard to get a lot of people on board with because you hear like someone was jailed because they were part of a robbery where someone got murdered. And the argument is always like, okay, well, that other person, you know, never gets a chance for justice. And it's like, yeah, you know, that's 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 fair. It's an unjust universe. But is it really better to just like lock them up for forever? Um, even though like we all can acknowledge that none of us are the same person we were at 20 and maybe a 60 year old who's been in prison for 40 years should get a chance to be a different person than were at 19 when they were committed armed robbery or whatever. Um, I don't know. That's kind of my failing on the matter. But um, what a what a messed up view of the world, Robert. Yeah, it, it was not. It really depends on their race, Robert, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it oh, was I hated not. Saying that. No, but it's true. Um, it was not the opinion of uh, of Governor Andrew Cuomo in 2012 um, that that older people uh, should be released, maybe after spending decades in prison um, on good behavior. So in 2012, Valerie Gator was New York State's longest serving incarcerated woman. Her crime, she committed a crime when she was 21 years old. She participated in the deaths of an elderly couple, I believe it was during a robbery gone wrong. Um, and it was a pretty horrific crime. She was also 21 years old. Um, and over the next almost 40 years in prison, she took significant steps to change herself into a better person. Uh, she earned multiple college degrees. She became a mentor to other prisons. She developed programs to assist in the rehabilitation. Um, and her programs have uh, like earned her a number of awards from different national organizations um, because they helped reduce recidivism and help other prisoners mm. to get out and rebuild their lives. Um, in okay, short, but she, counterpoint, how <laughs> dare she? You would consider her the model of what we would hope for in our prison system. You would hope that like this would be the goal, right? That somebody who committed a horrible crime when they were very young over the course of 39 years in prison uh, could change into a multiple degree holder who develops programs that help hundreds of other people escape their youthful horrors and right. live lives. That's the goal. Also, it, just to interject... We've used the word recidivism a couple times, and just in case you don't know, that is uh, the tendency of a criminal incarcerated person to reoffend. Wow, yeah. thanks, Mom. So she applied for clemency in 2012 um, and had a number of times because she was an old person and didn't want to die in prison um, and because a hell of a lot of people thought that she deserved another chance after spending decades proving that she deserved another chance. And Andrew Cuomo personally denied her clemency application. 
Um, Yeah, in 2019, the New York State Legislature considered an elder parole measure, uh, State Bill 2144. Uh, This would have allowed incarcerated older people to appear before a parole board for a chance at release at age 55 after serving 15 or more years in prison. And this was also, uh, this was voted down by the state legislature. Excellent. So, yeah, Miss Gator died... Uh, September 3rd, 2019. So before COVID-19 hit, she died uh, in a New York state prison, um, having never tasted free air again. So that's... Heartbreaking. Yeah, that's a bummer. Um, It's also worth noting that while Cuomo did uh, order the release of 1,100 people who were held up on parole violations and has released a number of of older nonviolent offenders, um, he's repeatedly insisted that people who are incarcerated on some sort of violent crime uh, not be released regardless of their age. Um, and he also insisted that state correction officers not be allowed uh, to wear masks until April 6th. That was uh, when the state of New York uh, finally allowed corrections officers to wear masks on the job, uh, which probably contributed to the fact that a number of correction officers have died in the state of New York. Um, Could you so, explain the reasoning behind that? I like, I really like don't. What? It's very dumb. Um yeah, uh, like if me, not, I, like I, that is like it's baffling to me that that would even be like. Yeah, so basically, before April second, there was a directive from the Department of Corrections and Community Supervision that prohibited employees from wearing masks, quote, unless medically necessary for the job and the area they work in. And for so whatever like exactly reason, this. yeah, for whatever reason, that didn't apply in a pandemic. Um, okay. Like, Basically, there was a lot of quibbling going on about whether or not every individual needed to wear a mask for their specific point in the job. And like, rather than just being sane about it and being like, okay, well, you know, uh, maybe when there's a pandemic, everyone needs to wear a mask all the time. And and they they quibbled about like who needed to. And then 56 officers and sergeants got COVID-19. Yeah, it's uh, a bummer. It, it is dumb. It just seems like a, a bureaucratic rule that was in place and didn't get released. Like April second is real late for that to that to be dealt yeah. with. And yeah, a lot of guards and a lot of prisoners, and we'll never know how many prisoners got sick as a result of this. Um, they won't even know. They don't even know. So yeah, it, and it just is part of this thing. Like Cuomo has. There's other criticisms that have nothing to do with the prison system to make about Cuomo and his response to COVID nineteen. But it is like really frustrating to me that he's getting pointed out as like, you know, taking this logical and fact and medicine based approach to the virus. And that's true in some places, but it's certainly not true of how prisons were handled, were treated in New York, of how in New York prisoners and guards, um, they were essentially like allowed to like it was allowed to spread uh, almost unchecked. The general public in New York State received four times the number of tests per capita compared to inmates in prisons, even though, again, as we've discussed, inmates as individual people, because of the higher uh, rate of illness among them, um, are more likely to be vulnerable to the coronavirus. And because of just the way prisons work, it's more likely to spread there one-fourth the number of testing per capita, Um, which is a very direct way of saying that Andrew Cuomo thinks that incarcerated people are less people and thus less worthy of having resources spent on them and less worthy of their lives being protected than people who are not incarcerated, which, unfortunately, a lot of Americans uh, agree with. And... There's this nasty thing related to the American puritanical streak, um, which is a big thing in this country. Which that, that whereas this like this uh, like revulsion Americans have at the idea that a prisoner uh, that we are more revolted by the idea that a couple of guilty people might go free than the idea of a lot of 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 basically decent people not continue to be punished. One of the things that I think best illustrates the toxicity of this kind of like this cruelty streak towards prisoners in American culture is the the case of Willie Horton. So Willie Horton is a convicted, he's still alive today, he's a convicted American felon who was serving a life sentence for murder, uh, a murder he committed in 1974. He was uh, furloughed under a program that the state of Massachusetts stated, which allowed like prisoners to be essentially let out on the weekends if they met certain conditions. And he was furloughed in 1986, uh, and in 1987, he twice raped a woman after pistol-whipping, knifing, binding, and gagging her fiancé. It was a horrific crime, and it was used by 
the Bush campaign in 1988 to run against Michael Dukakis, who had been the governor of Massachusetts when this program was instituted. And they made a big deal about the weekend passes that prisoners were being allowed. And the idea was that, see, these Democrats tried to take it easy on a prisoner and this woman got raped. And like, that's a means that we should never, we should like, it's always a bad idea to even consider easing up on any of these people and trying to rehabilitate them. And this is behind why people like Cuomo and people like Governor Inslee of Washington, why they have all made like such a point of saying no one who is in for any kind of a violent offense is going to be considered for release. Um, and it's because of the Willie Horton effect. It's because that it, it, this is like widely considered to be one of the things, if not the major thing, that cost Dukakis the 88 election. Um, and one of the most infuriating things about the Willie Horton effect is that the Massachusetts furlough program w- existed to help reduce recidivism. And by some accounts, it had a 99% success rate. Um, this was an extremely successful program when it came towards actually um, helping to reintegrate prisoners into society um, and allow them to rebuild their lives and and exist in the future as a person who does not hurt people. It was extremely successful. The program was canceled as a result of this. That one, the one example of it going south is the, the only thing that people focus on instead of the positive impact. Yeah, and it's the same thing you see with that Rance guy I posted earlier, I talked about mm-hmm. earlier, where like, um, you know, you have this program to release people to try and stop the number of people dying from COVID-19, and immediately right-wing commentators are looking for every example of a crime committed by one of them. And so you've got, you know, a thousand people released, and three of them committed minor fucking crimes, and we're going we're gonna to hammer this home. And it, these liberal governors, because most of them are pretty fundamentally cowards, are going to they respond to that. None of them want to get Willie Horton. Absolutely. It's just, I mean, it's the same thing we see, we saw for the past few years with dreamers. Yeah. Uh, and like, it's the way, just the way they talk like, okay, well here's one and they're bad. Therefore, uh, it's why the president got away, even though like people got pissed. It's why he gets away with talking about like the animals and stuff like that. Yeah. And it's, I mean, to be honest, it's the same thing you see with like Syrian refugees and, and particularly Germany, mm-hmm. where like you, you, it's mm-hmm. a big thing on the right to point out like, look, you know, the, this guy was a refugee and he committed a rape. This guy was a refugee and he committed rape. And it's like, yeah, they let a million people into the country. Some of them are going to be rapists. Yes. Yeah. When you when yeah. you take when you take a million, take a million Americans, in, like. yeah, some of them will be rapists, like especially if it's Hollywood. Uh, and that doesn't mean that everyone else should be. Yeah, it, it's 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 frustrating, but it's also incredibly easy too because you can't argue against it, right? Like if you're arguing in favor of prison furloughs, and the other person just has to bring up the case of one furloughed prisoner who committed a rape, um, you you can't. There's no argument against that. I mean, there is a logical argument, which is that, okay, but what about all these thousands of people who are now living lives and contributing to society and who are back with their family members? And like, what about mm-hmm. like, like they matter too, but they, it, it, it's not something you can actually win in a rhetorical sense. And the mm-hmm, biggest right. bummer about this is that from a perspective of actually winning re-election and from a perspective of actually like maintaining and holding their political power, I suspect all of these governors are making the right decision, um, which I think is the morally wrong decision, but I think it will right. work. Yeah, because Americans fucking hate incarcerated people. They really do. Yeah. Yeah. For, for hating incarcerated people so much, uh, we sure do make a lot of them. Yeah. Yeah. It's all part of a much bigger conversation about prisons in general, which I think we should do at some point. Um, You know, I'm very interested in the prison abolition movement versus prison reform, you know, because it's hard to say abolish prison when (laughs) there's, you know, so many people that are, there are a lot of violent offenders or or people that, the general population would not be quick to saying, yes, let's l- let them free. It's complicated. But prison in general, oh, there's just so many. There's so many issues that I have. And when people do go out, how they're not get out, they're not set up for success. They're not s- set up to uh, be reintegrated. We've just got a, such a gnarled view of freedom and humanity and like. Yeah. Ugh. I'll share another personal story. My My loved one that was in San Quentin uh, while they were there, you know, it, drug charges and everything was, was started on antidepressants. 
And uh, when he was released, they refused to give him his antidepressants or even (laughs) a prescription. And he was released without health insurance, without anything, uh, and, you know, with drug situations, like, a lot of that has to do with depression and mental illness. And, of course, it didn't take long for him to be back in jail. Mm-hmm. And there was no support system. We fought to try to get him his medications, and we couldn't get it. And one of the reasons why, because you're, you're, one of the, the point you're making that's really good, Katie, is that when these people get out, they, they don't get out they're not released with the things they need to take care of themselves or with an ability to take care of themselves. And that, that increases recidivism. Like that guy who winds up shoplifting from a Fred Meyer um, because he just got out of jail during a pandemic and he can't get a job and he needs food. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he becomes fuel for the right-wing grist mill. And it's the same, like, part of the reason the furlough program was so successful is that by letting these people out on the weekends, they're able to maintain relationships with family yes. and friends. Right. And one of the number one factors that determines whether or not a criminal will, after being released from, from prison, will commit more crimes is whether or not they have a support network. Um, yeah. It's all... Wild. What a, it's what also a, difficult yeah. not to be released that. into yeah. the same community that you... Uh, that are that you were in prior to to being incarcerated. So if you are a drug addict and you're released into the same environment that you were before and you don't have that support system, uh, what support system do you have? You have the people that you knew. And it's a real easy path back. But yes, having that furlough program, I imagine, yet you can strengthen bonds, reconnect with with family members. You can also start to test the waters of being back in public. Uh, and and figuring out what your boundaries are or how it feels to be out there. Do you know what I mean? It's it's a gradual reintroduction. Yeah, it's jarring to it's a different world. And mm-hmm. yeah. on theme with our title of the show and the recent the episode show we've itself. Done. We are yeah. ending this episode on a collective sigh. No, yep. actually, we're not. I have something to Ooh. say. Yeah. Uh, as uh, Cody mentioned earlier in the episode, later this week, we will be releasing an interview we did with some organizers uh, in Michigan who have been fighting this issue. Yeah, the, the group is No Detention Centers in Michigan, um, and they're specifically protesting against the opening of a, a of private for-profit or, or, or of the sorry, they're organizing against a recently opened private for-profit immigration prison in Baldwin, Michigan, yeah. uh, owned and operated by the GEO Group. Yeah, um, the GEO Group. So yeah, they're they're pro, and th- these are these are immigrant detention centers for like for uh, non-U.S. citizens who have committed crimes. Yeah, um, and they're they're uh, as you can imagine, pretty brutal places. Um, yeah, so we'll absolutely. We'll hear from them later this week. And and they've been experiencing, you know, we we all heard those stories. I think maybe maybe not. Who can assume what people have seen in all of this chaos? Uh, you know, a, a lot of uh, people in ICE detention facilities have been uprooted and sent across this country to other facilities, and 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 there's a lot of stuff happening there. But I I say this to also mention that uh, one thing point that they made, and I'd like to make now, is that you can find local groups that are organizing uh, to to fight this. And I encourage you to do that, to look up the prisons near you in your, your county and, and see uh, what efforts are being done because that would be a good way to channel your frustration right now. Positive note achieved. Nailed huh? it. I love it. You did it. Excellent. Spectacular. Cool. Marvelous. You guys can check us out online at Worst Year Pod on Twitter and on Instagram. And you could follow us all as well. I'm sure you have those handles. Yeah. Google our names and, tw- and the word Twitter. You'll find us. And I guess that does it for us today. We're going to go have better Mondays, I think. And I hope you guys do as well, except it'll probably be Wednesday. <laughs> have a better Wednesday. Have a good yeah. whatever day. I tried. Yes. Daniel? Lovely.
Worst Year Ever is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. At JCPenney, fashion counts for everybody and everybody. The weather is getting warmer and it's time to swap my winter layers for fun, vibrant, and cool clothing with so many fun things happening this spring like Mother's Day and the Wind Down Tour. It's hard to find great looking clothes that fit you just right. That's why I love JCPenney. JCPenney has so many stylish and comfortable options for so many different body types. I've been blown away by their selection and everything hugs my body in all the right spots. Refresh your wardrobe this spring with style that gets you. Something to wear that fits your favorite moments of the season at prices that feel just as good. Discover brands that get you and put style and comfort first, like Worthington and Liz Claiborne for her, each in women's petite and plus sizes. Here, spring comes in all shapes, sizes, and colors. JCPenney, make everybody count. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota.